0: Word of God from Daniel chapter 10 verse 1 through chapter 11 verse 1 in the third year of King Cyrus of Persia a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was Belteshazzar the message was true and was about a great conflict he understood the message and had understanding of the vision in those days I Daniel was mourning for three full weeks I didn't eat any rich food no meat or wine entered my mouth and I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Ufaz around his waist. His body was like beryl. his face was like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see it, but a great terror fell on them, and they ran and hid. I was left alone looking at this great vision. No strength was left in me. My face grew deathly pale, and I was powerless. I heard the words he said, and when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees. He said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I'm saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. After he said this to me, I stood trembling. Don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me, for from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia has opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days. While he was saying these words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and was speechless. Suddenly, One with human likeness touched my lips. I opened my mouth and said to the one standing in front of me, My Lord, because of the vision, anguish overwhelms me, and I am powerless. How can someone like me, your servant, speak with someone like you, my Lord? Now I have no strength, and there is no breath in me. Then the one with a human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, Don't be afraid, you who are treasured by God. Peace to you. Be very strong. As he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. He said, Do you know why I have come to you? I must return at once to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I leave, the prince of Greece will come. However, I will tell you what is recorded in the book of truth. No one has the courage to support me against those princes except Michael, your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to strengthen and protect him. The word of God for the people of God.
1: And turn there to the book of Daniel chapter 10 You can find that uh, on in the 790s, early 790s uh, In the Bible underneath the seats in front of you I'm guessing you have some questions after that passage That Max just read for us Daniel 10 is an eye-opening collision Between the seen and the unseen worlds The seen and unseen created worlds. So why this theme on this second Sunday before Christmas? Well, because it gives to us an additional framework for understanding the Bible story, a framework that makes the gospel shine much more brilliantly, realities that add dimension and depth, layers and brilliance to the gospel that should lead us along in worship as we long for Jesus to return Once again. So, three snapshots for you as we begin our time together. Snapshot number one A Wall Street Journal article this week outlines multiple businesses from California to New York that helps homeowners and business owners, quote, reset and elevate their home's energy, end quote, or bring life forces into their spaces. They use New Age and ancient spiritual practices, tarot cards, and crystals to create soul-cleansing and life-giving spaces. Snapshot number two, extraterrestrial tourism in Sedona, Arizona, and other parts of our world, led by businesses who guarantee you a sighting and an experience of paranormal activity. Government hearings on UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena, after the U.S. Air Force released videos of UAP interactions among their pilots. Add to that a surge in TV shows on paranormal activity and ancient extraterrestrials. Snapshot number three. My brother and sister-in-law, rather my sister and brother-in-law, Served as missionaries in Benin, West Africa, for eight years. They are now in South Africa. And they have stories to tell you about the voodoo parades and paranormal activity around the voodoo parades that would make your skin crawl. But interestingly, they don't have any pictures of those parades. Because no matter if you take a picture with film or digital camera, pictures taken of those voodoo parades never show anything. Ever. So question, what is the tie that binds these three snapshots together? For one, they demonstrate that humanity is fascinated with unseen powers and spirit beings, evidenced in the occult, New Age practices, animism, fascination with extraterrestrial beings, and... Well, and in our entertainment. And in the Western enlightened world, enlightened in quotes, we reject the idea of the supernatural except to be entertained by it via, well, Ghostbusters and grainy social media clips and horror movies and television shows. But we need to go into... definition here before we go too much further. Let's define what we mean by spirit beings. Generally, spirit beings in the Bible are personalities whose primary form is non-physical spirit beings, while at times they may take visible and or physical form. There's actually a Hebrew word, a generic Hebrew word that encompasses, depending on the context, different types of spirit beings. It's the word Elohim. It's often translated God, but it can include fallen and good angels, demons, messengers, watchers, cherubim, seraphim. It all encompassed under the word Elohim. Spirit beings are personalities who primarily but not exclusively exist in non-physical form. The Old Testament category is Elohim. So let's use these mile markers, they were on the screen just a moment ago, to navigate our way through the Bible and our text today. First, we'll examine the reality of spirit beings in the Bible. Then we will look at the role of spirit beings in the book of Daniel that we've seen throughout our time in this book so far. And then finally, we'll look at our response to the reality of spirit beings. Okay, you ready? We're going to fly through this. We're going to move fast. We have a lot of ground to cover. Strap on your seatbelts. Here we go. Number one the reality of spirit beings. Basically, this is going to be a biblical theology of spirit beings. So, I'm going to give you 13 facts, features, and functions of spirit beings in the Bible. Don't worry. We're going to go fast. And some of you just figured out that basically I have a 15-point sermon. I just said it's three points. Yes, that's correct. Number one, spirit beings observed the creation of the world. Now, we know Yahweh and the spirit of Yahweh were at the creation of the world. God and the spirit of God. Genesis 1, 1 through 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. Guess what? The word translated God here is our word Elohim, though plural It is often referring to a singular spirit being the one supreme spirit being God. Well, what is God? I wonder if you've ever asked that question. What is God? Well, the Westminster Larger Catechism helps us with this definition. God is a spirit in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, Everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most holy, most wise, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. What is God? That is God. But God was not the only spirit being present at the creation of the world. Job 38, 4 through 7. God speaking to Job, where were you, Job, when I established the earth? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstones while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Now the phrase more, phrases morning stars and all the sons of God are put in parallel. There are two ways to say the same thing. So we have Elohim who are called the sons of God and the morning stars. They observed creation. These are not physical descendants of God. They are created by God. Number two, spirit beings were created by God and ought to loyally worship him as part of his creation. Psalm 148, 1 through 5, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his heavenly armies, or we could say heavenly assembly, for he commanded and they, the heavenly armies, the angels, were created. Fact number three. Spirit beings were created by God to mediate his rule in the unseen realm. Now, we're probably getting into some details here that you may not have heard before. But the Bible clearly teaches this. Now, let's think about Adam and Eve. Just like Adam and Eve, or rather, let me say it this way. Adam and Eve were created to mediate God's rule in the physical realm. We know this from Genesis 1 and Psalm 8. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So what did God do? God created man in his own image. He created man. Uh, He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and what? Rule. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule. Rule. Psalm 8, 4 through 8 repeats this reality. So what about the Elohim mediating the rule of God in the unseen realm? Adam and Eve, mankind mediating the rule of God in the physical realm. What about the unseen realm? Well, we got to go to Psalm 82, verse 1 for this. And there we find this statement. God stands in the divine assembly. Some translations read divine counsel. And what does he do? He pronounces judgment among the the gods, guess what the word gods translates? Elohim, there's our word. According to Psalm 82, Elohim form a council, a divine assembly of spirit beings, a council of lowercase Elohim surrounding Yahweh Elohim, the one true God, the Lord God. Now, First Kings 22, 19 to 22, you may want to jot that down and go read later, it gives us an example of how the divine counsel mediates the supreme God's rule. But before we get confused and think Yahweh is merely one God among many, that this is some divine plurality, we, we cannot be confused on this. Number four, the spirit being who has revealed himself as Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, he is the uncreated, incomparable, sovereign Elohim, who is alone, worthy of worship. And here we need to go to Psalm 89, where again the divine counsel is referenced, but listen to how Yahweh is described among them. Psalm 89, verse 5, Lord, Yahweh, the heavens praise your wonders, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can compare with Yahweh, who among the heavenly beings is like Yahweh? God is greatly feared in the council of the Holy Ones, more awe-inspiring than all who surround him. Lord God, Yahweh Elohim of armies, who is strong like you, Yahweh? Your faithfulness surrounds you. So the Lord God is the uncreated, incomparable, sovereign Elohim within the divine council. Now remember, Yahweh defeated the gods of Egypt. That is, the spirit beings that the Egyptians worshipped. In the ten plagues leading up to the Exodus, each one of those plagues was focused on a particular spirit being, God. And then Moses sings this in Exodus 15, verse 11. Lord, who is like you among the gods? There's our word. Who is like you among... Glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders. Psalm 95, three. For the Lord is a great Elohim. A great king above all Elohim. Number five. Spirit beings reflect the brilliance of God's visible glory. This is why nearly universally in the Bible, when a human being encounters a spirit being... It is accompanied in brilliant light, that was in our text, and the human being is terrified, undone, to the point of nearly worshipping that spirit being. Number six, there is a hierarchy among the spirit beings. More on that in a bit, but in case we don't get there, see 1 Corinthians 2, 6, and 8, Ephesians 2, 2, 3, 10, 4, 8 through 19, and 6, 10 through 13. Number seven, see, I told you we'd be moving fast. Number seven, led by a rebellious spirit known as the serpent, some of the spirit beings of the divine council rebelled. Ezekiel 28 verses 12 through 15 says this, Son of man, Ezekiel is being addressed, lament for the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the Lord God says. You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every kind of precious stone covered you. Carnelian and topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper. Uh, I should have looked up how to pronounce that. Lapis, lazuli, turquoise and emerald. Your mornings and settings were crafted in gold. They were prepared on the day you were created. You were an anointed guardian cherub for I had appointed you, you were on the holy mountain of God, you walked among the fiery stones from the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. Now clearly this is not a description of a human being but an anointed guardian cherub as the text says, one of the Elohim, one of the members of God's divine council. We met him earlier in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 3. This one is called the serpent in Genesis. The New Testament reveals him as the ultimate accuser or Satan, the ultimate adversary. He is the dragon of the book of Revelation, and he's the power behind the dragon in the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And guess what? Adam and Eve were deceived by him. They were exiled for their rebellion and evil increased on the earth. And so God decides to take action, but... Before that, number eight, some of the spirit beings called the sons of God cohabited with human women and produced offspring. And this is where things might sound a little crazy to you. There are alternative explanations for Genesis chapter six, but frankly, none of them suffice the information in the text. Genesis six, one through five says this. When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them. So stop right there. We're talking about human beings and daughters being born to human beings. There's one category. What happens? The sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful. And what do they do? They take any that they chose as wise for themselves. One verse later, the Nephilim were on the earth. Both in those days and afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them, they were the powerful men of old, the famous men. Well, how's that for a surprise in your Bible? In verse 4, the when can be understood as whenever. It's describing not just one event, but what happens on occasion. On occasion, whenever the sons of God... Members of the Elohim, part of that category of spirit being, when they come to the daughters of mankind, they are capable of producing offspring. That's what your Bible teaches. Now understand that these original sons of God, those Elohim, were punished severely. Second Peter chapter 2, 1-10, through 10, yes, this is in the New Testament as well. And the book of Jude, verses 6-9, through references that these angels, these Elohim, were imprisoned in chains in darkness. But the result of their sexual union with women gave rise to giants, the Nephilim, men of renown in the ancient days. Nimrod was one of those individuals. Nibrod, the, the mighty man of renown, later here in Genesis, he would go on to found... Guess what city and what nation? Babylon. Which becomes in the Bible the high seat of rebellion against God. So God determines to start again. He's going to wipe all of humanity off the earth except Noah and his family. Number nine. After the flood, Yahweh divided the nations up among the sons of God be governed Deuteronomy 32 verses 8 through 9 when the most high God gave to the nations their inheritance when he divided mankind he fixed the borders of the peoples according to what according to the number of the sons of God the unseen rulership of nations was given to the sons of God the Elohim the nations were portioned out to them as an inheritance. But what about Yahweh Elohim? What about the one true God, the, the Lord God? Did he receive an inheritance? Did he choose for himself an inheritance? Number 10, Yahweh chose one nation as, inher- as his inheritance. Verse 9 of Deuteronomy 32. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob His allotted heritage. And by the way, Christian, those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, repented of your sin, and bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, you have been grafted into the family of Jacob, the descendants of Abraham. God has chosen you for his inheritance among the nations. Yahweh reached down into the heart of the rebellion to an ancient Mesopotamian kingdom into a city near Nimrod's very seat of power, and Yahweh chose a man, Abram, to become the father of a nation not yet born. And God promised him not just a seed or descendants, but a land. And through him would come one, the same one who was promised to Eve, the serpent-crushing seed of the woman who would defeat the leader of the rebellion against God. Through the very creatures Satan enacted his rebellion, mankind, God conspired to judge the rebels and restore his creation back to himself. Now, after the flood, this is where scripture is not clear, so we have to figure out exactly what happened. Either the disembodied spirits of the spirit beings' offspring survived the flood and again cohabited, or... Additional Elohim cohabited with women. They produced more beings known as Nephilim and Rephaim that lived throughout Mesopotamia and the land of Canaan. If you think I'm making this up, check out these references on the screen. Numbers 13.33, Deuteronomy 2.11, 2.20, etc. Numbers 13.33 links the Nephilim to the sons of Anak. We'll get more on Anak in just a moment. Now, the native population of Canaan were known as the Amorites. And guess who the Amorites were directly connected back to? The Nephilim. The offspring of the rebellious sons of God. Now, why does this matter? Because of the promise. The seed of the woman was going to crush the serpent and war against the serpent seed. So, friends, this explains the scale of destruction and warfare that we see in the Old Testament as Israel fought against the Canaanites, many of whom were actual descendants of the rebellious spirit beings. This wasn't about genocide, regardless of what the new atheist wants you to believe. This was about God protecting Israel and therefore mankind from the defilement of rebellion A rebellion that threatened the very salvation of mankind through the promised seed. So the Canaanites had to be destroyed. By the way, remember I mentioned the sons of Anak? Direct descendants of the Nephilim. Guess who was one of the sons of Anak? You might know him. Most famous giant in the world. Goliath. Little David representing God's people, doing battle against God's enemy, hitting him in the head and destroying him. Any symbolism there? Number 11. The sons of God, who had been given the unseen rulership of nations, became corrupted. Back to Psalm 82. We read verse 1, but we didn't go any further. Let's go back to Psalm 82. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he upholds judgment. And what is the judgment of God upon the divine council? This is what Yahweh says How long will you, divine council, judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I, Yahweh, said, you are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, even though you are sons of the Most High God, like men, you shall die. Will fall like any prince. So God judges some or all of the sons of God. We're not sure exactly the number. Of the divine council as unjust. As impartial. As wicked. And their exercise of dominion. Has shaken the very foundation of the earth. That psalm says. So God condemns them to death. They will die like human princes. Number 12. The spirit beings loyal to Yahweh, what about them? Well, they serve Yahweh's human followers. Let's skip to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Are they, are the angels in context, are they not ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? The angels, the sons of God, the Elohim who are submissive to God, who worship Yahweh, are commissioned by God to serve human beings who will inherit salvation. My guess is that reality probably has not crossed your radar screen this week. The angels are God's servants to God's people, to those who are going to inherit salvation. Number 13. And yes, the final point in this first point. God has a plan to replace and judge the rebellious members of his divine council. By what method? Well, he's in the process of adopting new sons and new daughters. And he will give to them kingship authority. And God will restore the rulership of his seen and unseen creation to his image bearers. And he'll restore creation altogether. Friends, when the New Testament describes you as adopted, it means something. God is replacing the sons of God with a brand new category of human beings The sons and daughters of God. All right, that was point number one. Thirteen, facts, features, and functions of spirit beings according to the Bible. Second, and much, much more briefly, the role of spirit beings in Daniel. Okay, so can we line up the book of Daniel and what we see of spirit beings in Daniel with what we've just learned of spirit beings in the rest of the scriptures? think the answer to that is yes Daniel chapter 3 we discover a fourth being in the fiery furnace remember that Nebuchadnezzar describes him as looking like a son of the gods now I made an argument in that sermon that this is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ and I believe that to be the case the unique one-of-a-kind son of Yahweh who is himself Yahweh and yet distinct from Yahweh how does that work Well, we have to wait till we get to the New Testament to find that. He is unlike any of the other spirit beings of the divine council. Now, in Daniel 4, or Daniel 3 rather, others would say that this fourth being in the fire is an angel. Either way, whether it's the pre-incarnate Christ or an angel, his function is consistent with what we see in the Bible. God communicates his blessing upon and his presence with those who are loyal to him, Through either the pre-incarnate Christ or one of his loyal spirit beings, an angel messenger. Okay, skip to Daniel 4. In Daniel 4, do you remember, we are introduced to a holy one, a watcher. That watcher makes a decree in chapter 3, 13 to 14. And in verse 23, a decree that Nebuchadnezzar is going to go insane. However, in verse 24, that same decree is defined as... A decree of the Most High. So which is it? Is it a decree of the Most High, Yahweh, Elohim? Or is it a a decree of the watchers? Well, the answer is yes. The watcher is an Elohim, a spirit being loyal to God, mediating the rule of God in the unseen realm. In Jewish literature from Daniel through the second temple period, the word watcher is always a term for one of the heavenly sons of God. Let's skip ahead to Daniel chapter 6, verse 22. An angel, better translated messenger from God, closes the mouths of the lions to protect Daniel. What's going on? The angels are spirits sent to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Hebrews chapter 1. Daniel chapter 7. We have a vision of two powers in heaven. One described as the Ancient of Days. Undoubtedly, without question, Yahweh Elohim the Supreme Lord God, and yet there's one described as the Son of Man. But the Son of Man is traveling as only deity travels. He's traveling with the clouds, and throughout Scripture, whenever you see someone traveling with the the clouds, it is God. We shouldn't be surprised then that this Son of Man is given absolute dominion. And we shouldn't be surprised to see Jesus taking for himself this title, Son of Man, claiming to be both Yahweh and from Yahweh, based on Daniel 7. So what does Daniel do? Daniel 7, or Daniel in Daniel 7, turns to a spirit being nearby and receives from him an interpretation of what he's just witnessed. Again, an angel serving him, someone who will inherit salvation from Yahweh. Daniel chapter 8. We have a holy one discussing with another holy one a vision among themselves. And then finally you have Gabriel, one of the holy ones, explaining to Daniel the vision he's just seen. And Gabriel reappears in Daniel 9. And now here in Daniel 10, we have further evidence that God divided out the nations among the sons of God for unseen rulership. Did you catch that? Verse 10, or rather chapter 10, verse 13. Gabriel, speaking, says this, The prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I'd been left there with the kings of Persia. Now, Daniel, I have to return at once to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I leave, the prince of Greece is going to come. However, I'll tell you until that time what's recorded in the book of truth. Now, no one has the courage to support me against these princes except Michael, your prince In the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to strengthen and protect him. What's going on? Well, the princes of Persia and Greece are spirit beings, and scholars are unequivocally agreed upon that. Spirit beings who are in some way exercising unseen rulership over nations and their kings. Perhaps even over geographic locales. These princes are not human princes. They are corrupt spirit beings in rebellion against Yahweh and his king. And they're seeking to undermine his power and defeat his people, the people God has chosen for himself. So what happens? Michael, who is loyal to Yahweh, one of the loyal Elohim, one of the chief princes in the divine council of God, he is tasked with the covenant people of Israel. Tasked with guarding them, protecting them. Individuals like, well, Daniel and his three friends in exile in Babylon. And Gabriel himself is a messenger, perhaps also a prince, the text doesn't say, whom God tasks with serving Daniel by explaining the visions. (sighs) Probably a little more than you bargained for coming to church this morning. So there's the reality of spirit beings in the Bible and there's the role of spirit beings in Daniel. We've covered a lot of ground. Now hang with me a couple more minutes and I think you'll find the payoff rewarding. Finally, number three, our response to the reality of spirit beings. Friends, I made this statement earlier. God has a plan to replace and judge the rebellious members of his divine council to adopt new sons of God and to give them kingship authority, restoring the rulership of his seen and unseen creation to his image bearers and restoring his creation altogether. That is the overarching story of the Bible. Now, do you know what that plan entitled, entitled, that's not the right word, encompassed? Do you know what that plan encompassed? We'll get, let's get there by asking this question. Friends, where do we see Gabriel next in the Bible? He's showing up in Luke, back to back. First to Zechariah, telling Zechariah that his wife, who is far past the age of childbearing, is going to have a son. And he is going to be a very special son who will prepare the people of Israel to receive their king. And then he shows up to a terrified teenage girl. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Reason to celebrate. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin, engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then Gabriel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive... Give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. A spirit being. Loyal to God, Gabriel is sent by God to serve a follower of God and to declare that the time to enact God's cosmic plan of redemption has come. Through Mary, a descendant, a daughter descendant from King David comes Jesus Christ, the great King David's greater son, Emmanuel, God with us, the seed of of the woman, the virgin-born Son of God. What's happening? Yahweh Elohim, the incomparable God, is enacting His plan to bring judgment upon all the rebels, both spirit beings and human beings, And to bring salvation to the humble and the loyal. To restore his image bearers and his creation. To adopt into his family the family of God. Sons and daughters of God who will share the reign of King Jesus for all eternity in perfect bliss. Friends, that's the story we're caught up in this morning. This isn't about you and it's not about me. It's about Yahweh Elohim and what he's been doing since day one and before day one. He's ransacking the strongholds of the nations in rebellion against God. And he's drawing from them to himself, people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and language, turning enemies into friends, transferring men, women, and children from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Transferring them from the oppression of the rebellious Elohim, transferring them into the beloved submission under the beloved submission of king jesus so what should our response be number one if you're a follower of jesus don't be afraid of spirit beings and don't be enamored by them friends you know the christ You know the son of Yahweh Elohim, the one to whom all authority and dominion has been given, the one who is himself the authority above all earthly and spiritual heavenly beings. So don't be afraid of any other spirit being, but also don't be enamored by them. Number two, know the true gospel, because disloyal angels perpetuate false gospels through false teachers. Say, Isaiah, prove it. Okay, how about the angel Jibreel, claiming to be Gabriel, who appeared to a certain Mohammed, preached a false gospel to him that became Islam. Did Mohammed actually see an angel? Probably Well, how about like the disloyal angel Moroni, who preached a false gospel to Joseph Smith, which gave birth to Mormonism and the Latter-day Saints? Was Joseph Smith a kook that just uh, invented some crazy religion and managed to ensnare hundreds of thousands of people? Maybe. Or maybe he actually saw an angel who preached a false gospel. That was incredibly ensnaring. So, friends, know the true gospel. This is the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, he was buried according to the scriptures. And he was raised the third day, according to the scriptures. Galatians 1.8. But even if Paul, or Isaiah, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what, you have, what has been preached to you, let a curse be on him. Number three, expect spiritual warfare. Friends, you have been caught up in a cosmic battle. Expect beings in rebellion against God to try to entrap and ensnare and enamor image bearers in order to get them to worship lesser gods instead of Yahweh. And as a follower of Jesus expressed to be Oppressed, opposed, and distressed as you seek to proclaim Jesus' victory over sin, Satan, and death. Friends, expect it. You lift your head off of the pillow each day, waking up on a cosmic battleground. You brushed your teeth this morning in a spiritual war zone, whether you realized it or not. So know it, expect it, pray for your church community, your family, your spouse, with this reality in mind. Number four and five, delight in your security as children of God as you are kept by Christ. And delight in your victory in Christ over disloyal spirit beings. Friends, these realities are all throughout the pages of the New Testament when you begin looking for them. How about Romans chapter 8? What then are we to say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Then skip down. Who can separate us from the love of God? Who can separate us from the love of God? I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers... Nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Christian, this Advent season, rest assured, when we see Jesus in his second Advent, all rebellion will cease, and until that day, Jesus will keep you secure. Philippians 2, because of Jesus' humility in the incarnation and his death on the cross, God highly exalted Jesus and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Where are those knees located? The ones in heaven, the ones on earth, even the ones under the earth those rebellious spirit beings that are incarcerated in chains of darkness, even them, even they will bow in submission and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of Yahweh Elohim, God the Father. Friends, this is what we celebrate this Christmas season. It is not merely about a babe in the manger. It begins with that. It begins with him. But it is so much bigger than a babe in the manger. And friends, one day we will, with our eyes, behold him. And see him face to face. And every rebellion will be crushed. The serpent will be crushed. The followers of the serpent will be destroyed. And all creation will rejoice when the sons and daughters of God are revealed. Christian, that's your future. And if you are not yet a Christian, that can be your future. God invites you today by his spirit To embrace his king, his messiah, the one true son of God, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I praise you for your grace this morning to us. I thank you for protecting us this morning. I thank you for the story that you have caught us all up in, a story that is so much grander than one we could ever imagine. Father, we confess that we've gotten off tangent this week, being at building our own little kingdoms and being so caught up in minutia of life that we have lost sight of what you are doing. And have been doing since eternity past and will bring to completion in eternity future. So Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the one true king. And we praise you for what you have promised to do, reconciling all of creation to yourself in him. Give us faith to believe it. Give us eyes to see it. Give us endurance until that day comes. and Give us hope in the midst of the challenges and difficulties and trials and temptations and oppression and spiritual warfare of this life. It's in Jesus' name we pray.